over the past year and a half, then, we've been looking at focusing on Christ, and we have transitioned through all the way into the reflection of Christ, and we've looked at the uh, individual reflection, and we considered the fact that uh, whatever is, or whoever is residing and reigning in our hearts is going to be that which is going to be reflected in our, in our, our lives, and so that's not only individually, but we began looking a few months ago at the collective reflection, that is the church, and we began looking at the, the illustrations of the church, and we considered it from the perspective of being the, the building of Christ, the bride of Christ, and the body of Christ. And then last week, we transitioned from the illustrations into the interactions um, of the church. And the first one we looked at was loving one another. And so you can see in the top left of the slide up there, real teeny-weeny in red, it says loving one another. It's, yeah, it's way up there. Okay, And so that's where the, they're going to track those as we come down through. But we considered last week loving one another. And as we considered the loving one another, we saw that the, the greatest commandment, um, is for us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind, is what Jesus said. In the, in the Shema, in the Old Testament, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. To love the Lord your God, though, with all your heart and with all your soul. It's kind of the idea that, that, that we love God with everything we are. And the second commandment was like unto it, that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. And so the extension of loving God is that I'm going to love other people. Then we saw that from 1 John chapter 3 and chapter 4, that how can we say that we love God whom we cannot see if we don't love those who we can see? And so the fact is that I have got to be, if I really am saved, if I know Jesus Christ as my Savior, and the love of God is flowing in me, it should be flowing through me to others as, as well. Now, if you would, before we jump into Galatians 5, which is where we're going to be looking at, turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Because the book of Deuteronomy is where we see, then, the greatest commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6. But in Deuteronomy chapter 10, God goes on with Israel, and he says to them, he says, so what is it that I require of you? What, what do I expect of you? And very clearly, you expect that he's going to come out with to do what? To love me. Right? I mean, that's, if that's the greatest commandment, you would expect that Yahweh would come out and say that I expect you to love me. And so he says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, he says, Now Israel, what does Yahweh, your God, the Lord your God, require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? And so God says, listen, I want you to fear me, but I want you to what? I want you to love me, and as an extension of your love for me, you will what? You'll serve me. And not only will you serve me, but do you note that the terms that he uses is the exact same thing as he talks about for the greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul. And if we do that, we're going to serve the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul. Well, by extension, whenever I love somebody, the same thing's going to hold true. That the primary channel of my love, if you would, the primary way that my love is going to be exuded to somebody is in my service to them. I am going to wind up placing myself beneath them. We see this in Galatians chapter 5. Okay, so hopefully you kept your finger there from the Bible reading. Okay, but back in the book of Galatians chapter 5, where we read this morning. Paul 
is challenging the believers of Galatia because they were being um, swayed by the Judaizers to to place themselves back under the law. And so hence the, the conversation about circumcision. And so that they were being convinced that they needed to be circumcised, the, the men of course, so that they would be under the Judaic covenant. And Paul's saying, listen, that's not the whole, no, it's, it's not there. I mean, in fact, if you're going to start trusting in circumcision, you're no longer trusting in Christ. And so if you're not trusting in Christ for your salvation, then you're not what? You're not saved. You're not really saved. You're trusting in works. You're not trusting in Christ. And we know that salvation is when, by faith, that we trust in the work of God that was done through Christ alone. And so there's nothing that's in and of myself. And so in this then, he comes through Galatians 5, and he's saying to them, he says, you know, you know, who's hindered you from the truth? Don't do that. A little leaven's going to leaven the whole lump. You know, once you start working in works, it's not faith anymore. And then he moves into what seems to be a different thought. He says, verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. In other words, you're not under works anymore. You're not under the law. But now you have freedom in Christ. You've been called to liberty. But what's the opposite on the, if you look at, if you're considering the, it's the seesaw effect here, okay? What would be the opposite side of the seesaw from the legalism of the law? The libertarianism, the licentiousness, it's doing whatever you want. Because now, over here, I'm under the law and I've got to do all these things. But I'm freed from the law. The fences have been taken down from the backyard. I can what? Go anywhere I want to. And so in Romans chapter 5 and 6, we read that Paul's talking about it in chapter 6. He comes, he says, so should I continue to sin that grace may abound? And he says what? No, may it not be so. It never happens. But rather that you've been saved in Christ and be given freedom and liberty from the law, not to serve your own flesh, not to do what you want to do, not to just go out and roam and do whatever your little fleshly desires are, but rather he's given you that liberty and given you that freedom in order that you may serve one another. And so right off the bat, we have this command, if you would, to serve one another and there is this call then to servanthood and this call to servanthood comes out as a command and it's important because in the meaning that's here is something that we've talked about in the past the the word to serve here is the verb form of the word doulos okay it's duleo okay duluo in many of you 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 know you only know only certain greek words or whatever but you probably most of you heard of the word doulos okay and the word doulos isn't just a word for a minister or a servant. It's actually the word for a bond slave. Okay? There is the word diakonos. Heard that word before? Deacon, right? Okay? It literally means to be a minister. Okay? A minister or uh, one who serves, not one who slaves. A doulos, on the other hand, is, is one who is a bond slave. And so Paul always calls himself a doulos of... Christ. The point is, the doulos doesn't have his own will. He always does the will of his master. Keep your finger in Galatians 5 because we're going to come back there. But I want you to see um, some of the concepts of, of this word. Um, look at Matthew 6, 24. 
passage you're going you're gonna to know quite well. But it begins to give us the idea of what we're talking about in this term as we look at serving one another. Matthew 6.24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's our word, deluo. You cannot be a bond slave to both God and mammon. You will give your will to one or the other. And so you have to make the decision, who are you going to serve? Same concept then in Galatians 5 when it talks about serving one another. Turn to uh, Romans 6. Again, another passage that you'll, um, it'll be quite familiar to you, even if it doesn't ring a bell to you at this moment. Romans 6, beginning at verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves as slaves, do loss, to obey, you are the one's slave to whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So in the freedom, in the liberty that Jesus Christ has given to us, it's not a freedom to do whatever we choose to do, but rather we have been freed from being due losses of sin to being due losses of Christ. Properly would have been douloi, because that's the, the plural of due loss. But anyways, but you understand where I'm going. In other words, I am to be a bondservant of Christ. No longer am I to be a bondservant of sin. I'm not supposed to be offering my body in, to the whims of sin, or bringing Matthew 6 in, to the whims of materialism, but rather I am supposed to be listening and submitting to the will of God and doing what he chooses to do. Now, again, in, in light of that, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and so therefore I serve the Lord my God with all my heart and soul. But the second is like unto it, and that is to love my neighbor as myself. And so the extension of that being then, as we saw in Galatians 5, then to serve my neighbor, to serve one another as well. And so what is the, the meaning, what is the concept then of this serving one another? It's becoming a, a slave, a bond slave. Now, there is a slight distinction between a slave and a bond slave. Okay, We talked about the distinction between the bond slave, slave concept, and a servant, the diakonos, okay? Does anybody know what the difference between a slave and a bond slave is? The bond slave chooses. The slave had no choice. But the bond slave was emancipated, had an opportunity to have his freedom, but chose to continue in a slave relationship. It was a voluntary choice to become a slave to somebody else. That's the call that we have for one another in the body of Christ. That we are called to, in a sense, enslave ourselves to one another. That is very countercultural in the United States. In many countries, this is not an issue at all. They have a servant mentality. 
And so to serve the church and to serve others in the church is not a big deal. Many people struggle with where Israel is, and many people want to make Israel and Jews more of a European country. But it's not. Do you realize that actually um, Jews were Semitic, not Japhethic, Japhethites? Okay, the Japhethites were the, the the origins of the Europeans. The Hamites were the Europeans of the the um, Africans. The Shemites, the origins of the Oriental people. And so, the Jewish culture actually is the the stemming of a Oriental culture. And so that's why even in the days of Rome, it was a struggle for them because it was a totally different culture, cultural mindset. And so if you want to fully understand this concept, go to an Oriental culture and, and you get it. If I go to, I'm, I'm looking at Sun, and, but if I, I go to a Korean church, I am going to be served. I mean, they're not going to allow me to do anything when I go there. A, as a visitor, B, as a pastor visitor, I mean, I'm, I'm almost placed upon a pedestal, and I'm not saying I want you guys to do that, but what I'm saying is that that Oriental culture has the concept of servanthood down, and they bring it naturally into the church. Now, I'm not saying they don't have their issues, but serving is not an issue for them. In the Western culture, we have an issue with that, because we like to be who? the boss. And we like everybody else to serve us. We don't naturally just place ourselves in the role of being the servant. Jesus was was a what? Was he European? No, he was Jew. Which means that he was what? Of a oriental descent. Okay? And so the concept of servanthood blends we're going to see this right into who Christ was and is the core of that, of that message that he gives to us and how we reflect him. Do you remember how Jesus said last week we talked about it? All the world will know that you're my disciples if you what? If you have love for one another. Okay? If you love one another. Okay? Well, you can say, like we said last week, I love you, man. I love you. I love you. But if you don't show it, it's meaningless. Okay? So that's the meaning. The cause. What's the cause of servanthood? Again, here in uh, Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 13. You, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for flesh, but through love serve one another. So what is going to be the primary motivator, what's going to be the primary um, headwaters, if you would, of us serving one another? Love. Through love. Love is going to be that channel. where or, uh, Servanthood is going to is going to be the channel where our love is going to be expressed to one another. If I love others, then I will naturally seek to serve one another as well. Okay? And so, John 13, 1 to 17. Does anybody know what's going on in John chapter 13? We can turn it. Let's just get turn there. It'll be easier. We can, we can see it. Go ahead. What was it, Steve? Sure. That's exactly right. Jesus was watching, washing the disciples' feet. Okay? He's getting ready to, to, to die. It's during the communion, which we're going to ready to celebrate in just a little bit. Okay? So they're, they're having the, the Passover celebration. And in the midst of that celebration, Jesus tells them, one of you is going to betray me. 
Well, that starts a domino effect. Because now they all start asking or wanting to know who it is. Is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? And somewhere that conversation changes from, is it me, Lord, to, it can't be me. And all of a sudden there's the debate, because it gets transitioned to, who's the greatest among them? And so Peter and the other disciples are now fighting, and you can look at this in Luke chapter 22, they begin to debate over who's the greatest. Well, in the midst of all this, Jesus gets up. Apparently, they don't even see him get up. Because they're what? They're arguing. And he goes over, takes off his outer garment, he puts on the, the towel, he gets the water basin, he dons the apparel of the servant. The servant, if the house was large enough, would have been at the door with the towel wrapped around him in the water basin there, that as the guest entered into the home, he would be there stooped for them to put their feet into the basin and to wash their feet. Jesus dons the apparel of the servant, and he goes to the table where they're reclining to eat, and he comes up behind Peter. Now, again, we think Americans, and so how are they at the table? They're sitting in their big chairs, and they're pushed into it, and so Jesus must have crawled underneath the table, okay? That's not how they were. They recline, okay? They, they lean, and so their feet are kind of rolled back behind them. Does that make sense? And so Jesus comes up behind Peter. Well, Peter's engaged, okay? I'm reading between lines here, okay? But Peter's a lot like me. You know, he's the boisterous one, and he's got the size nine and a half. He's probably had bigger feet than me, so probably size 12 foot mouth, right? And, uh, and so he's out there, and they're, and they're doing this debate, and all of a sudden... I'm Peter for a moment, okay? What do I feel? All of a sudden, I feel my foot being moved, you know, and water being poured on it because I'm not putting my foot in the basin now, right, because I'm, I'm, I'm reclining. And he turns around and he sees Jesus serving him. He sees Jesus putting water on his feet and washing his his feet. How does Peter react? Don't. No, Lord, you, you can't wash my feet. In other words, it's what? It's beneath you. It's beneath you, Lord, to wash my feet. But Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, if I can't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. Peter says, oh, you, well, you misunderstood, Lord. I, I, I didn't mean just, I, 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 I meant wash all of me, Lord. And they're sitting at the table. like. And so you take the illustration a little further. Peter, you want me to take the robe off you? I mean, you, I mean what, what, what are you doing here, you know? And, and so he says to Peter, he says, Peter, if you've taken a bath, then you don't need me to wash all of you. All I need to do is wash your feet. Because they didn't have, what, paved roads. They had dirt roads, right? And so all I have to do is do this. Peter, Jesus then says to them in John 13, verse 15, or let me start actually in verse 13. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, 
A servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you what? If you do them. If you are the servant of Christ, then you will reveal your love for others as he did. Jump all the way up to the chapter the beginning of chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he what? Loved them to the end. Jesus seeking to serve and minister to his disciples was an extension of his, his love. What did Peter understand that he was doing? He was placing himself under under them. We'll talk about that some more in just a moment. But he was placing himself under them, but he was letting them know that he was doing it because he what? He loved them. Now, it's in this context that later in John 13, that Jesus says to them, by this will all the world know that you are my disciples. If you what? If you have love. Love. If you really love one another. Now we're talking initially in this little local body. In this, in, I know we're missing probably half the body today with people starting to go on vacations and such. Okay, But extend it out. Fill the, fill the room up here. Okay, Do you honestly, as I said last, last week, love one another? If you say yes... Is it demonstrated? Do others really know it? Jesus said, it'll be seen in how you serve one another. The cause of servanthood is love. Serving one another is a way that we can channel our love for one another. But there's a cost to it. There's a cost to uh, servanthood. And it's the cost that we were just discussing that Jesus began to portray and the initial cost of servanthood is denying myself. I have to, as we said back with the meaning of it, I have to willingly, intentionally, volitionally place myself at your will. Is that a scary thought? It is to me. Because I want to do what? I want to do. And not always do other people want to do what I want to do. Yeah, go figure that one, huh? And uh, and so, when that happens, the response to one another is really reveals whether we have hearts of servanthood or whether we have hearts of selfishness. The cost, back in Galatians 5, 13, 15, it says that we are to serve one another, right? That you shall serve one another for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, lest, beware lest you what? Consume one another. What happens then if we don't serve one another? We're going to what? We're going to consume one another. We're going to eat each other up. Literally is what consume. It means you're going to, you're going to eat each other up. 
And so we talked about this a few weeks ago, that as a body, if, if, as, a, if as a local church, we don't become a living, thriving body, we'll die. We will die. Because we will wind up devouring one another. At some point, we will disband because we're not, we don't care about one another. We only care about ourselves. Philippians chapter 2, we read about the mind of Christ. And it says, Do all things, um, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, in humbleness of mind, in humility of mind, let each esteem what? Others as better than themselves. Peter understood what Jesus was doing. He turned to Jesus and said, No, Lord, you can't wash my feet. Because he understood when Jesus began to wash his feet, Jesus was doing what? Subordinating himself value-wise below Peter. Do you understand? I mean, it wasn't Governor Herod or Governor Pilate or King Herod who was going to wash the servant's feet. It was the servant who was going to wash the governor's feet when he walked in. And so Jesus said, you've called me Lord and teacher, rightly so, because such I, such I am. I, I am that. However, I have taught you, I've showed you, I've given you an example of how you ought to treat one another. That regardless of who you are, regardless of your position, you ought to see yourself as what? A servant. A bond servant, a bond slave of one another. That you ought to consider the value of others as being better than your own. In that, he says, continues on in Philippians chapter 2, and, um, and that you look not on your own things, but also on the things of others. That you don't think more about your own stuff, but rather you care more about the needs of other people. Now, this is an important word that I just threw in there. Did anybody know what that word was? Needs. The needs. See, sometimes we get overloaded by being bond slaves because we're not concerned just about needs. We're looking at whims. Does that make sense? And Jesus, that's where the difference with Peter came. When Peter says, oh, not just my feet, but all of me. Peter was acting on a what? On a whim. He was just reactionary, okay? And, and Jesus, if he was there, would have said, oh, 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 okay, I guess I'll watch all of you then. But Jesus turned around and said, no, no, you, you missed it. I'm meeting your needs. It is not a need for your family to eat steak every day. It is for mine. No, it's, okay? It's a need for your family to do what? To eat every day. Does that make sense? But it's not a need for your family to have steak. It's a need for your family to have housing. But it's not a need for your family to have a 2,500,000 square foot house. Okay? I'm, I'm going ridiculous. Okay? It may be a need for your family to have clothing. But it's not a need for your family to, to go walking around in whatever the fancy names are today. You know, I'd say fancy names, but I know some of the kids would look at me like, gee, Dad, that's like so 20 years ago. Um, and so, so whatever the, the, the fancy names are today, we don't need to walk around in those. We just need clothing. 
Does that make sense? Are we tracking with one another? Okay. Now, but in that, though, that says to me that I ought to consider your value as being more important than mine, and I ought to be considering your needs. I ought to be thinking about you. But you know what? If I'm never thinking about you, I'm only thinking about me, how often am I going to see the needs that you have? Never. But how neat is it that, let's say we have just, let's say, 12 families. Okay, let's just bring it down to a dozen for me to make it easy. If, if, I, if every one of the 12 families are looking out for their own desires and their own needs, and they consider themselves as more important than every other family, how many families are looking out for themselves? All of them. But what if everybody had the mindset that every other family in that group of 12 was more important than them? How many families would be considering and seeking to make sure that my needs were met? Eleven. Eleven families would be taking care of me. And how many would be taking care of you? Eleven. Do you get it? If, if you had a pile of dirt that was to be moved in your backyard, and I had a pile of dirt to be moved that was in my backyard, and Devin did, and Mark did, and 12 guys, we each have a little bit of work to do in our, in our, at our houses. Do you think it would be faster to do them all the jobs individually? Or do you think it would be faster to have 12 guys there doing a job and then doing the next job and doing the next job? Now, if it's Department of Labor, I understand it would, or Department of Transportation, it would probably be easier if one person was doing it, although it would never get done. Um, the reality is that it would be faster with more hands. You know the cliche, right? Many hands make light work. Okay? If you're moving your own pile of dirt and you're the only guy moving the dirt, how long are you moving dirt? The whole time. But if you got 12 guys moving that pile of dirt, how, how, how often are you moving the dirt? You say, well, it depends on how industrious the other guys are. <laughs> I might not doing it at all. <laughs> I want Chris on my team. The reality is, hopefully... Half the time. If you got six guys shoveling, six guys are what? Taking a break. You're refreshed going into the next power, refreshed going into the next power, refreshed going into the next power, refreshed going into the next power. Do you understand? And the work gets done lighter. But that only is going to help. It's only going to work. It's only going to happen if I'm looking at you having a need. And then I'm seeking to be involved in a need. Now, you got a, you got a pile of dirt in your yard, and I got a pile of dirt in my yard, and so I say to myself, "What? Your pile of dirt is more important than my pile of dirt." And I go over to help you move your pile of dirt. What may not happen? Huh? Reciprocation. My pile of dirt may not be moved today. There's a cost involved to servanthood. That's just a very basic, practical thing. My cost may be that there are certain projects that I want to do that don't get accomplished because I'm helping to meet somebody else's project instead. Their need is more important than my need. But again, if the body as a whole is living this out, then I don't have a doubt that my projects will get done. Because everybody's needs are going to be met. But I would challenge you, and I would just lay it out there, 
that as a whole, most of us don't think this way. Most of us are only considering our own needs. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We take care of ourselves, and we look at others and say what? Well, if they can't provide for themselves, why should they need me to come in? That totally gets rid of this whole concept, doesn't it? I mean, because if everybody's providing for their own needs, then there's really no need for me to what? Serve. I don't have to serve you. Because you already are meeting your own needs. Am I, am I, are we, we, we tracking together here? I got a lot of blank stares going on. Okay? The cost. Jesus said, Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, follow me, be my disciple, the first thing he needs to do is do what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily. There is a sacrifice. And being in the body, that's the serving. Just as Jesus served us, so we ought to be doing to one another. In 1 Thessalonians, you don't need to turn to chapter 1, we read about the church of uh, the Thessalonians, that the testimony they had was that they turned from serving their gods to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. They went from being bond slaves of false gods to bond slaves of the true God. My question to you is, as we transition from this then, are you a bond slave of Jesus Christ? And then an application to one another. If you say yes, then using Jesus' standards of being a bond slave and the cost that there is in denying yourself and taking up your cross daily, is your servanthood valid? Are you really? I mean, you can say that intellectually, but again, practically speaking, if Jesus is on the throne, and he is, but you're sitting there before him or standing before him, and he asked you the question, and you wanted to make the proclamation, and he asked you for the proof, where would it be? You know, again, the cliche is proof in the pudding, right? Well, what's the pudding look like? Finally, there's the commendation of the servant. The commendation of the servant. Now, back in Jesus' teachings as well, go to Mark chapter 10. As Jesus was um, teaching his disciples about servanthood, and, and he was in the midst of that, the arguing about them, who's the greatest, and stuff like that, and him, him serving them, Jesus gave them a little teaching on servanthood. He had done it before in his ministry as well, and they had totally forgot about it. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 42, Mark 10, beginning verse 42, Jesus said, he called his disciples to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your doulos shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The word there is diakonos, okay? But the the point being the same. That Jesus Christ did not come to be served. He came to serve. And as he told his disciples, leaving then us an example. That... As God said in 
Yahweh said in Deuteronomy chapter 10, to love the Lord my God with all my heart and with all my soul is then to serve the Lord my God with all my heart and with all my soul. Then to love my neighbor or to love my brethren with all my heart and all my soul is also to to serve my neighbor, to serve my brethren with all my heart and all my soul. If I love God and desire to serve him, then it will be manifested by loving you all and serving you all. The same thing can be equally said for each of you. If you really love God, it's going to be manifested in your love and your service to one another. The very first place that's going to hold true is in this little local assembly. A few weeks ago, I made a comment, and and I know it was hard when I said it, but my comment is if you cannot become committed to this assembly, you need to leave. Why? Because what the body is supposed to look like, what it's supposed to be, whatever assembly, and I, I would say this wherever I go, some of these large churches where, I mean, there is no commitment. There is no loving one another. There is no serving one another. They're not really bodies. They're just, they're, they're packing in the, the, um, the stadiums. I was talking to somebody recently about that. I mean, there's a lot of stadiums that are out there where, where, where people are going and they're just what? Say again? They absorb their observers. They're, they're, they're takers. That's exactly right. They're not givers. They're not interacting. Remember when we looked at the illustration of the body, what well, says that every part, every, every, every member does its, its part. Okay? And so I look at those big churches, and the people just punch their tickets and they come in. They're not doing a, a part. They're not interacting. And so my, my desire is for, you know, I don't get paid commission. I want to see the, the body of Christ become the body of Christ. I want to see it interact. I want to see it to, 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 to flow like it's supposed to flow. And, and for, for Bob, I know Bob doesn't have the servant's mindset like Christ. I'm growing in that. I mean, I want to, I want to know him and I want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to it. I want to grow in his grace and knowledge. I want to become more and more like him. On this earth, I probably will never become that, that perfect um, illustration of Jesus. But I want to become that. I want to become more and more of a servant. I want to have more and more of a servant's heart. To have less and less of Bob being vying for the attention. And I say all that because I know that you have to struggle with the same stuff. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, then there's a war that goes on within you. You fight your flesh. You fight selfishness. But as a bond slave of Jesus Christ, you are called to become a bond slave of one another. And so if you know him and your desire is to become more like him, then your desire will be to become more of a bond slave to one another. That's a struggle. So, whose model of greatness are you following? Who's, in whose eyes do you want to become great? In the eyes of Christ or in the eyes of the world? How are you serving this body? Are you actively serving the body? Or are you, as we just said, are you a taker? Are you just an observer? 
Or are you participating? Are you a bond slave to one another? Is there some way that I, put your own self in there, may truly and selflessly serve others? Not just ones I like, but all. Remember last week we talked about loving. You know, we can't get away from the loving, even the ones I don't like, because Jesus said to love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you. So even if you look around the, the, the assembly at some point, you go, but I don't like that person. It doesn't matter. You're still called to love them, which means you're still called to serve them. And so serving your enemies is really where it really is a struggle point. But to ask yourself concretely, practically, what are the ways that I can truly and selflessly serve somebody else here? It wouldn't be bad if you wrote down everybody's name that you can think of in the body and write down beside it, what is some way that I can serve that person or that family? What is some way that I can be involved in their lives and that I can do what I'm supposed to do. It's not going to happen unless you proactively and volitionally seek to do it. Your nature, just in and who you are, is not going to happen. I, I promise you, when we're, we're done with it here, with the message, we're going to go into communion and, and, and we, we think about what Christ has done for us and, and we're, we're having this worshipful moment. After that, we're going to have a what? We're going to have a business meeting. And we're going to start talking about a facility. And all the conversation about servanthood is going to start to do what? And then we're going to have dinner. And some of you are going to go on to other things today, you know? And my family and I, we're going to Tennessee for a couple days, you know? And so I don't have to think about you guys at all. (laughs) But... I laugh, but you know what? That's a fact. If I do not volitionally bring myself to think about you, I won't. I just know who I am. And I have to make the decision that I want to think about you all and how can I serve you. And I can tell you that's a place in my life that I want to grow in. How are we then, as well, by application, as a body, seeking to serve others? As we individually reflect Christ within the body, so we as a body should seek to reflect Christ. And so if we are seeking to serve one another, then as we come together as a unit, how are we seeking to serve our community? How are we seeking to serve other churches? I'm excited about the potential and this is not to, to put my sway in for the vote. I am excited about the potential for the property, for the, the, the facility that we're looking at, because I can see so many opportunities to serve the community, the potential for the school that will be across the way, for us to be serving the children and the family of, of South Columbia Elementary School, having after-school clubs, having trying to have little things that we can invite those families over and we can minister to them. Not just to, not, not connivingly, not because we, we were, we're hoping to get something out of them, you know, but literally to place ourselves as servants of those people so we can demonstrate who Jesus Christ is to them. Does that make sense? Now, yes, I'd like to see them get saved and I'd like to see their families transformed by the Word of God. But that's going to happen when we start portraying and reflecting Jesus to, to them. And they start seeing who Jesus really is. Regardless of that facility then. So we vote no or we don't get it. And we're still meeting here. What is some way 
that we are seeking to serve other churches or our community. As a body, we need to seek to do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. You alone are God. You alone are the Holy One. And you, Lord, illustrated first the concept of servanthood. Before the foundations of the world were laid, you determined that Christ would be coming, the propitiation for our sins. You determined before the foundations of the world that you would serve us by dying for us. You've said no greater love has any man than this, than a man lays down his life for his friends. That's the ultimate act of servants, is to die. Lord, I pray that I would have that heart, not just to my family, but to this family, to this body of believers. That I would be willing, Lord, to submit my will to theirs. That I would seek to wash their feet, to meet their needs. Consider their needs as being more important than my own, and their value as being more than mine. Forgive me, Lord, for for allowing my mind to be convoluted many times by the selfishness of this world, by the distractions and deceptions of materialism. Lord, I pray that you would help me to continually change the way I think, that I would be able to see through God-colored glasses. In Christ's name, amen.